that made me think, what if I had whether a business or a career that gave me the flexibility to own my own time and be more intentional, being able to spend more time with my kids, with my husband, reconnect with myself. Welcome to the Career Relaunch Podcast, featuring stories of professional reinvention. My name is Joseph Liu, and I'm here to help you gain the clarity, confidence, and courage to overcome the challenges of changing your career path so you can do more meaningful work and truly enjoy your professional life. In each episode, I feature people who have stepped off the beaten path to reinvent their careers. We discuss their unique personal journeys, the challenges they overcame, and the lessons they learned along the way to help you understand what it takes to relaunch your own career. Today on the show, an HR professional is going to explain how she decided to move her family from the Bay Area to the Philippines. We'll discuss how to recognize when your professional life is no longer sustainable and the power of reconnecting with your past. Afterwards, during today's Mental Fuel, I'll share a few thoughts on the importance of rekindling old friendships. Today, I'm speaking with Samantha Tavera Augustine, a seasoned HR professional specializing in talent acquisition, leadership development, and employee engagement. When the pandemic hit in 2019, she launched her own business, Maserat Box, that delivers a monthly box of Filipino snacks right to your door. The past three years made her realize what mattered to her, and about a year ago, she and her husband made a very big decision to move with their two young daughters, who are five and two, from California to the Philippines, where she's originally from, to truly honor what they valued most, which was to spend more quality time with family. Now back in the Philippines, her husband has also recently launched a Brazilian jiu-jitsu training center, and Samantha's been able to work as an HR consultant for a Canadian and U.S. firm, helping small to mid-sized businesses with HR solutions, which also honors her professional values of serving others. With more flexibility in her schedule now, she's been able to reconnect with her family, her friends, and most importantly, herself. Now, as you'll hear from Samantha, she and I first connected in 2018 when she dropped me a note after watching my TEDx talk, and we've remained in touch since. Watching her career evolve over the past few years has been really fascinating, and it's not every day that I cross paths with people who make a big decision to let go of a well-paid, stable job to make an international move. So I was really excited to get her onto the show so you could hear how she came to her decision to do this. You can get all the show notes from today's conversation at careerrelaunch.net slash 90. Samantha spoke with me from Baguio City in the Philippines. Hey, Samantha, welcome to the Career Relaunch podcast. It is great to reconnect with you and to have you on the show. Hello there. How are you? Good. (laughs) Good to see you again. Oh my gosh. It's good to see you. It's good to catch up with you. Now, you and I haven't spoken in a really long time until we hopped on this call a few seconds ago. So I've got so many questions I want to ask you about your life in the Philippines and your career trajectory since we last connected and how you came to the decision to move back to the Philippines. But I'd love to just start by getting a sense of what you're focused on right now in your career and your life. And can you also just tell me where exactly you are situated there in the Philippines? Yes. So we could start with where we are in the Philippines. We uh, live in a small city called Baguio City. This is actually where I 
pretty much grew up until um, we moved to California when I was in high school. But there's a lot of things that I'm focused on right now, personally, in my life and my career. Um, personally, our family is about to hit our one year um, living in Baguio. Um, we moved from California last year. And then uh, my husband and I have two small children, five and two. So they are definitely keeping us busy right now. Our eldest started kindergarten this year. She is doing ballet and Brazilian jiu-jitsu. So her schedule is actually started. I know, right? Like it's pretty awesome. (laughs) It's pretty awesome. It's a pretty good balance, right? Um, And then my husband and I, now that we have like a lot more time, we try to be more intentional to reconnect with each other. Um, We actually have time to breathe and go on dates once a week, um, even if it's just a coffee date for an hour and unplug. We have this rule to not talk about our to-do list for about an hour and just talk about something else, (laughs) shows or whatnot. And then for me personally, I also got to reconnect with my childhood best friend. Like I've known her literally since birth. Our dads have been college friends and we grew up together. And now we're doing yoga every week, like aerial yoga, which is very like something that I probably would not no, in a million years that I would do as a hobby, uh, but it's pretty exciting, something to look forward to every week. So that's a little bit of, you know, my personal life career wise. You know, right now I'm actually helping my husband build his jujitsu business, uh, which recently opened August of this year. Um, so he's the instructor, but I'm really managing the front and back end operations of the business, uh, which is exciting. And then I am working to relaunch my Filipino snack subscription um, box business called Maserab Box, one that I started in the peak of the pandemic. So I temporarily had to pause that and we could probably talk about that later uh, because during our move, I had to pause it for a little bit, but expecting to relaunch it next year. Um, And then lastly, I'm still working as an HR consultant with actually two different firms, one based in Canada and one based in the U.S. Both jobs allow me to have this flexible schedule that I have right now. So life's pretty exciting right now here. (laughs) Super exciting. And you and I actually haven't spoken in months. And I just got an email from you a couple of weeks ago, just as we were preparing for this. And I think one of the things you mentioned there, and I'd like to talk about this before we go all the way back in time and talk about your career revolution. You mentioned you have reconnected with one of your child friends. And I remember getting your email and I actually, that got me thinking a lot about friendship and adult friends versus childhood friends. Any major revelations for you as you've reconnected with her after all these years? Yes, I think definitely hanging out with your childhood friends and people that you grew up with in grade school and high school um, brings out your immature self. (laughs) I think, you know, I'm not saying one is better than the other. Like you have those like more profound conversations with your adult friends, although I still have them with my childhood friends. But I think I truly get to be my immature self without fear of judgment, (laughs) being with the people that I grew up with because they saw everything. They saw the good, the bad, the ugly, first heartbreaks, first boyfriends. You know, I think um, it's a definitely different dynamic and so glad that I got to reconnect with most of them um, living here. I know that you haven't always been an HR consultant. You certainly haven't been someone who has moved from the US to the Philippines until now. This is your first big move back home. Can we just go all the way back in time? And can you just tell us a little bit about your time as a child growing up in the Philippines and what was life like for you there? 
I actually was born in Manila, which is uh, more south of where Baguio City is. But then I think we moved to Baguio City at two years old. So I really, you know, I grew up here. So I went to school here. I, you know, developed all of my childhood friends. Like all of my friendships are here, right, with all of uh, my childhood friends. And my childhood was pretty amazing. Um, my dad is a doctor. Uh, he is a general surgeon, but also focused on cancer surgery. Um, and he's still kind of semi-retired, still doing that just to keep his routine going. Um, my mom, she at that time, she was actually working in human settlements for the government. Um, but then when we moved here to Baguio, she helped manage this corporation, this clinic that my dad and other doctors, like they ran this um, clinic that is focused on occupational therapy. And she was uh, pretty much managing that business for a while when I was growing up. They had my childhood, like I, you know, I have an older sister and a younger brother. Um, my parents, were definitely intentional with creating those core memories per se, creating those memories for us as kids. So we would travel all over the Philippines at least three times a year together with my childhood best friend, which I do yoga with now. Our families would truly go to on trips together. And I think that's always the highlight um, every year, like where are we going to travel to next? Uh, so our, our family like naturally just love traveling. Um, so I was here until high school, but a little background about my dad's family and, and how we came to the States is my dad's family actually was already set to go to the States in the 70s. I think it was he has four siblings, you know, my grandparents, and they were all set to go. Um, but then my dad was still studying medicine when he was here and he wanted to finish up and he was going to follow. But then, of course, he fell in love with my mom. <laughs> they got married and he did not want to separate from us as a family. He wanted to petition us as a family. It was a long process. I didn't know at that time that we were petitioned as early as the early 90s and didn't get approved until early 2000s. So, to get a visa to move to the United States, you're talking yes, about. Yes, to get our permanent residency to the U.S. It was definitely tough for me because like, as you get older, right, you develop your friends and you have like, you're settled here. So at the time I was in high school and it was definitely a hard move for me because I was questioning like, why, why do I have to go? Like I could just go to school here. And of course at that time, like I felt like I was forced, but then in hindsight, I understand now that the intention behind it. And I'm happy that my parents did that because they wanted to give me that opportunity, right? An opportunity that probably not a lot of people had, but I had. And really what one thing that my dad told me is that he didn't want me or my sister or my brother to resent them for not giving us the opportunity to try to live this life outside of the Philippines and try to kind of go for the opportunities that we have there. Again, I'm glad now. I didn't understand at the time as a high school 16-year-old <laughs> kid, right? But yeah, that's how we came to America. <laughs> where did you guys first land and where did you grow up in the United States? What do you remember about that time? We officially moved there in 2004, but we actually got to go on vacation there prior, like I would say like a year beforehand, just to you do all the touristy things. But then I vividly remember, um, you know, I was definitely sad at that time. I didn't get to go to my high school graduation. Like our flight was booked before, you know, at that time it was a big deal. We landed in San Francisco. We lived with my dad's family at Sunnyvale. We lived there for a while, kind of jump right into it right away. I think my family really wanted me to kind of get acclimated right away. And they had me like, 
like, hey, go to community college, go to De Anza. And, you know, I kind of signed up for whatever, you know, I think I was already in the middle of the semester or that quarter. Um, so whatever was available, I kind of signed up for it just so I have classes. So I definitely remember a culture shock in some ways for me, because over here in the Philippines, like everything is very accessible. You could either, at least in Baguio, you could walk everywhere. You could hail a cab wherever you're at. In California, you got to have a car. Yeah, you got to drive everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. It will take you hours before you get to your final destination because of all the bus stops. Um, so that was definitely one of the big adjustments for me. You know, like I definitely like had friends, you know, I developed friendships over there as well. And people gave me rides, but you know, it was nerve wracking having to get my driver's license and all of that because I never thought I needed to drive to get anywhere. <laughs> but yeah, it was definitely rough moving from the Philippines to over there. At the time, my dad was also still working in the Philippines. So our families were kind of separated a little bit. I think it was also like my immaturity at that time that I was just so focused on. Like, I don't see my friends. I don't have any friends here. Um, but eventually, like, I think I'm a naturally outgoing person and I started working, you know, working part time and going to school and kind of just got acclimated, I would say, within like two years. But yeah, that's a little bit about our move. <laughs> so this is a career show and I want to switch gears here a little bit. Can you describe how you decided to go down the path of retail management as your first chapter in your career? So that was definitely my first career. Um, you know, a lot of my experience before I became HR was in retail management. I honestly just kind of fell into it and vividly even remember getting my first seasonal part-time job at Victoria's Secret. That was seasonal part-time. I didn't even have interview clothes at that time. I just found out they had a group interview. I bought <laughs> like my interview clothes that same day and like went to the interview and got it. Yeah. So I, you know, again, I didn't think I was going to be in retail for a long time. I just thought it was just going to be a college job. But then I was fortunate enough to have amazing leaders who invested in my development. So, you know, I was, you know, at Victoria's Secret waiting for them to either lay me off and tell me like, hey, you're seasonal job is over. But then I got a promotion uh, within, I would say, like less than a year to be a team leader. And I think that's kind of what jumpstarted everything. And I just kind of grew with Victoria's Secret until I became like an operations or what they call a category manager at that time. So I was in there for probably about three years. And then after college, again, I feel like you know, I only knew retail, so I felt the confidence to apply at Target. Or actually, I got recruited at Target, but then I went forward to apply to first be an HR manager. So it was like more of like an HR generalist role at Target after college. But then they put me in like multiple roles for my own personal development as well. So I was holding multiple management roles in operations in HR while I was at Target. But as you may already know, working retail makes your crazy hours. So I think for so many years, I pretty much missed all the holidays. And, <laughs> you know, at the time, it didn't matter to me because I didn't have kids yet. <laughs> Let's talk about this for a second, the life of someone working in retail. I don't know if I told you this, Sam, but I had a brief stint in retail myself when I was yes. living in Honolulu, Hawaii at the Ala Moana Shopping Center, which is this big outdoor mall there on the island. And I was working on the women's floor in the shoe department, helping women find a pair of shoes. Oh, yeah. And I was in my early 20s at the time. And I actually really loved that job because I got to meet a lot of people and cross paths with folks when they were generally pretty relaxed and in a good mood. But at times I felt like customers could be a bit condescending at times to people like me working on a store floor, folding sweaters. 
you know what I'm talking about? Where yes. people think, oh, this is just a part-time temporary job for you or you're serving them. Yes. And I guess this happens in service-based industries too. And I'm just wondering what was your experience like working in retail? Honestly, I probably felt that one time during Black Friday, <laughs> because I think, you know, I, I'm sure like everyone knows about how crazy Black Friday could be. But yeah, I feel like that's a really big misconception. And to this day, like I feel like as an HR manager and as a recruiter, when I'm doing recruiting projects, I have like a little bit of a bias for retail workers because I know that they are actually the hardworking people that I know because they manage multiple projects during a crazy store, meeting all types of metrics while keeping the store afloat and managing their team. Like, I feel like there's so much more to that. And I've actually learned a lot of great leadership skills working in retail. But yes, I think there is still that stigma at that time, or I don't know if it still does now, but I definitely think that that's a big misconception because I feel like you could get really great leaders recruiting from retail from someone who has worked in retail management. So I'm a big advocate for them. <laughs> Definitely. And I think a lot of times when you are working in retail, on the floor at least, you are directly interfacing with customers in a way that people back in the corporate head office may not be. And you're literally representing the brand. Absolutely. So a couple questions for you here. One is just trying to get a sense of how you were feeling about your career in retail. And also, at what point did you feel like that schedule was no longer going to be sustainable for you in your life when i didn't have kids it i think i was just in that mode of like i just need to like do my best and like work my way up as much as possible so i was driven i was driven to succeed i wanted to get to the highest management level as possible at that time those were my priorities so i felt like it was an investment it was an investment of like i'm working all of these hours right now it will all pay off once i the money and get the fancy position. I think it really took a toll on me when I had my daughter in 2017, so my eldest daughter, because with holidays like Christmas Eve, like I didn't leave the store until four in the morning and my daughter missed Christmas Eve, right? So I knew that long-term that I did not want my daughter or any future kids that I had, you know, at that time to miss those holidays because that's building that core memory and for my kids. And I'm not going to be able to take that back if I continued working retail. And that was, um, you know, I think development-wise, I think the company really developed me as a leader, um, as a person. But I think my priorities have shifted when, you know, I had my firstborn. It's kind of funny because our daughters were born at the same time. My daughter was yes. also born in 2017. <laughs> right. Once you had your first born, at what point did you decide you needed to make a change? Honestly, I started having anxiety when I have my closing shifts. I felt like I was very short-tempered, like lack of sleep. At the same time, you have a toddler who doesn't sleep through the night. So I feel like I'm doing my daughter a disservice of not being the best you know, an available mom for the very little time frame that we have together. So I knew I needed to make that change. And I knew that if we were going to have more kids, that it cannot move forward with that schedule. And in 2018, that's how I came across your TED Talk, which really inspired me to make that career change. I think I saw that as a sign because like I didn't know where to start. Like you said earlier, there's the stigma that when you're in retail, you kind of just settle for that and it's hard to get out of it. 
and I felt that way. I felt like, what do I do next? Like retail is all I know. But then I saw your TED Talk and that's really what jump started me being that motivated to start actively looking. I think I even like messaged you and thank you. Like, yep. hey, this is the push that I needed, that right? I think I remember connected. that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, we that's when you first connected. connected. Yeah. And then a few months after that, I got an offer. I think that was when I kind of gave up. I started applying, but then I think before I gave up, I just updated my LinkedIn profile. And then this company was the one who actually like reached out to me. Um, and I got an offer from this construction and land development company to be their HR business partner overseeing the Northern California division. So yeah, it's definitely exciting for me because like, oh, it's my first nine to five job and I've never worked like a nine to five job before. So it was all exciting and new to me at that time. And yeah, I was in that role for about three and a half years until um, again, we made this move um, here in Baguio. Okay. So I want to get to that move in a moment, but before we do, you mentioned something there about applying to jobs and not getting the positive response that you had hoped to get at least initially. And this is a pretty common dynamic that comes up with people where they are in a role and they are starting to think about making a change. They start applying for other roles that they think are more promising, but they don't end up getting the traction they want, at least initially. So how did you know that you were on the right track in spite of the fact that you weren't getting the traction that you were hoping to get at the very start? You know, I think at that time, my goal was just get out of retail, whatever translates to like getting out of retail that gives me a better schedule. I was so focused on that. As I continued to apply, I really like wanted to think long and hard of like, okay, what do I value? Like kind of like seeing that connection of like, what am I good at? But then what also aligns with my next, in, in the next step of my career and my professional life, being in retail management, I really had that passion for being in the service of others. For me, the biggest reward is being able to see someone grow in their career. And I know like at Target at the time, like I think whenever people ask me what my biggest accomplishments are, is being able to be a part of someone's growth. Um, so I was able to promote team leaders into um, the next role, um, which is I think at the time being an assistant manager, prep them for interviews, like really being that strategic partner for team members, but at the same time, also being that partner to managers. So being in, in retail management, you have to be that kind of that the balance of advocating for employees, but kind of, you know, advocating for the business as well. So that kind of like got that light bulb moment for me, like, oh, I would love to be an HR business partner and be that strategic partner for a company that also truly values their team. So that's kind of what narrowed down my search at that time. So you identify this path, you end up moving into an HR business partner role. I'm assuming things are working pretty well for you professionally. How did things end up ultimately transpiring for you during this specific chapter in your career? Yeah, it was definitely a, a great role. Like I definitely learned a lot, but really what kind of made us transition again is COVID. We hear about a lot about the great resignation. So a lot of things happened in 2020 for us and our family on top of COVID. So in 2020, we had our second child. You know, at that time, you know, we kept getting asked, like, when are you going to buy a house now that you have two kids, your family is getting bigger and the interest rates at that time was at its lowest, right? That's the time oh, you jump right. in. Of course, yeah. 
Yeah. And then, you know, what was going on just at that time, like that was happening. My husband and I started becoming more stressed out at work. So my husband was working for the county at that time as a they call them like eligibility services technicians, which basically they are the ones reviewing and approving government assistance and aid, which got stressful in 2020 when many businesses shut down. A lot of people are following up on their aid. Backlog of calls are happening because everyone wants to get their aid as soon as possible. So um, it was a stressful time for him. It was a stressful time for me working as an HR business partner with COVID is in its infancy at that time. There were so many unknowns as HR, you have to keep up with all the ever-changing safety guidelines. It was honestly a recipe for burnout. I hope if you have other HR professionals listening right now, I hope I get an amen from them and hope they can relate. <laughs> but at the time, like I kept hearing like HR is getting burnt out, like there's no HR for HR. Absolutely right. Yeah. Who's helping you guys help the other people who are coming to you because they're stressed out and trying to deal with all their different challenges. Yeah. Yeah, so that was one of the elements as well that kind of, you know, made us really think hard. Again, going back to, you know, like our priority with our little kids, like we're stressed out at work. Our kids are in daycare 12 hours a day. You know, again, we felt guilty. We felt like we were being unfair to our kids at that time because A, they already spent time in daycare for more than 12 hours, probably a day. And by the time that we get home, we have a solid three hours to spend time with them until we have to do it all over again. And B, um, we would feel very wiped out after work. So um, we felt like we were really just not being the best version of ourselves. We're not being intentional parents, being just wiped out at work by the time that we get home with the kids. So we just kept feeling like, we were running on autopilot, you know, from getting our sleepy kids at six in the morning and doing it all over again. And weekends, by the time that weekends hit, like we're either tired or we have to force ourselves to, you know, make these memories for our kids, take them to the park, take them to whatever. But we only have those two days, right? It just felt like it wasn't sustainable for our family, at least. You mentioned picking up your kids at the end of the day where I'm guessing you didn't have a ton of energy left after having a full work day. Yes. When you think back to those days, what kind of parent did you catch yourself being during those events? <laughs> did you notice uh, yeah. anything? <laughs> right. I was probably like, I wouldn't say an angry parent, but I would snap pretty fast and I felt bad. And we were definitely like um, screen time parents. If we didn't have time to deal with it, like here's your iPad, here's your phone. I just need a minute to myself, be in like a headspace where I'm not thinking about work and not stress out about what the next meal, you know, we would order in. We probably had food delivery almost every day because I didn't have the energy to cook. I go for convenience. If it gets delivered, if I don't have to go out of my way, I would put in the order before I drive home. So by the time I get home, it's delivered. Groceries are also delivered. I was that type of parent. Whatever's convenient, I will invest in that. Good thing we were in a good financial place at that time. To me, that time is that investment. It saves me time. Like we invested in laundry, not having to do our own laundry because we wanted that time back for our kids. You're trying to stay afloat. You're trying to give yourself some time. And sometimes delegating is really the only way you can do it. Exactly. Now, around this time, you also decide that you are going to launch your own business. What motivated you to venture into the world of entrepreneurship and being a small business owner? 
So I was starting to miss home because my husband and I usually would visit the Philippines at least every two years. And because of COVID and the restrictions, we didn't have that capacity to do that. It was also during the time that I was still pregnant with my second and I was craving Filipino food. Even living in California, I feel like Filipino food is easily accessible. But of course, the stuff that I was craving growing up in the Philippines are the ones that are hard to find. And I think that's kind of made me think, oh, I wonder how many people else out there, even living outside of California, like Filipinos out there, working professionals that are probably feeling the same way that I'm feeling, kind of just missing that nostalgic Filipino snacks from our childhood in the 90s or you know early 2000s. So I think I started researching and at that time, like there were some other businesses that were doing kind of like gift box, Filipino gift boxes as well. But I think it was still very new. Like I didn't see like a lot of businesses And I'm like, well, a lot of those businesses, I think they're featuring their own products versus for me, like it's really sourcing those products from the Philippines, which actually ended up evolving, connecting with different business owners. And I ended up also featuring some of their Filipino food products in my boxes, which was a great opportunity to connect with the Filipino American community across the United States. Um, so that's really how it started. It's just my own personal kind of cravings. And I was like, oh, what if I do this? And I kind of wanted to test it out. And by December, before our move, my husband and I were packing like 60 boxes <laughs> before we had to leave. Okay, you're doing it yourself. Yeah, we were doing it ourselves. Um, it was really, truly a test run. And I think it was just honestly also a distraction for me. Like I really felt like I was... Losing myself in a sense that, hey, I don't have any hobbies. Like, I pretty much just go to work, go home, be a mom. Like, I wanted something for myself. And that's kind of what also jump-started me to start this business. Okay, so you have started Maserap Box, which is what this is called, where you've got Filipino snacks that you are selecting and delivering to people. What triggered you to then start to consider making another move <laughs> at this point in your career? I just felt like, oh, there's opportunity for me to be able to either run my own business or own my own time. Or I didn't know that I could actually be, I don't say successful, but semi-successful or at it, right? To get the response that I did at that time when I launched Maserat Box. So that made me think, oh, what if I had whether a business or a career that gave me the flexibility to own my own time and be more intentional with Again, my time, being able to spend more time with my kids, with my husband, reconnect with myself, right? Like I felt like I was myself again and I had this baby that I owned, that I truly owned. So that really what jump-started me and my husband thinking. We kept entertaining the idea of moving to the Philippines. We'll have easy access to food and I feel like where I grew up is a good city in Baguio. It's a good city to raise my kids in. So I think overall, like I think that's kind of what made us think a lot until we actually took action. But I think that's kind of what jump-started that thought. Now, on the one hand, this sounds great. You get to reconnect with family, long-lost childhood friends. You get to reconnect with the culture you were once a part of. What most concerned you about making this sort of a move at this point in your life and your career? The biggest fear or concern that I had was letting go of all the 
that investment that I put in myself in my career, you know, I went for my master's, I went to school, I felt like I worked hard, work long nights, work so many hours to get to where I am now with my position and my pay, right? And what if I made the wrong decision and I come here and I don't find a job? There's just so many unknowns at that time. And I was just thinking of all the what ifs, like what if I fail? <laughs> like what if you know, this is the wrong move, right? And I think it was also letting go of my past career because I felt like I've created like this career for myself and letting that go and starting over was definitely a big concern uh, for me. But then thankfully my husband kind of like led me back to the bigger picture, but then how's your mental health? right? Like what is, is it worth it? Is it worth it that you're staying in this job? Yes, you're making this great pay, but does it align with how we want to raise our family and how we want our kids, what childhood do we want them to grow up in, right? Like what do we want them to experience when they look back at their childhood? What would we want them to say? And we want to be those present parents. And I think that was really like the defining moment for me. Like, okay, I think this is definitely should be the right decision because it is, you know, for our kids as well. So it sounds like, Sam, you were thinking about your kids. You were thinking about the impact your job was having on your kids, was there a particular moment that ultimately tipped the scales for you guys where you said, okay, we've got to make this move back to the Philippines. This is the right moment for this sort of a transition in our lives and in our careers. We were, you know, saying like, okay, we are going to go to jobs that we are stressed out about paying for a home that is probably something that we couldn't afford or maybe we could afford, but we're barely getting by. Or can we use that money for this move and have a better quality of life? I think that was truly when we could say, okay, we could do this because I am I have a little bit of type A in me where I, I need to see it and what we need to do and how much will that cost. I think it's still good for me to kind of like see something measurable and like, how are we going to get there and what does the path look like? So we really put that pen to paper and once we saw the numbers and we saw everything, like, okay, we could do this. <laughs> well, there is a book called The Power of Regret that I'm reading right now by Daniel Pink. And Ooh. Oh, I love the, Daniel Pink. Yeah. So one of the four major regrets that people have at the end of their life or even midlife is a boldness regret where they don't do something bold. So I think that's part of it too. It's like, okay, if I'm not going to make it now and am I going to regret it later? So, and I think retail like really helped me kind of made me learn like, yeah, fail fast. Cause like in retail, you fail fast on a lot of things. So I kind of like apply that in my real life. I'm like, well, what's going to happen if I fail? I'm not going to know until I know. And I jump into it. Before we get to your time back in the Philippines, can you take me back to the moment when you and your husband and your two young daughters hopped on the plane on your way to the Philippines as you guys took off from San Francisco, what was running through your head? There was a lot of anxiety and excitement. Um, getting dropped off at San Francisco with two restless children while dragging our luggage and two big car seats was definitely oh, the first yes. hurdle. Yes. <laughs> that was, that was definitely the first young hurdle. Children. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Uh, yeah. So that was, you know, the biggest hurdle for us. Do we pack enough snacks? And then the next <laughs> hurdle is when we checked in to get our tickets. This is, is December 2021, right? Yes. Okay. So this is about two years into the pandemic, still lots of travel restrictions and entry requirements. Yes. So we've heard stories and we witnessed it while we were checking in that there were some people that were not 
able to get on the plane because they didn't take an RT-PCR test 24 hours before because that was an easy miss if you look at that checklist on the website. It's so confusing, yeah. It was very confusing. And at the time, like there were still quarantine requirements. So we had the quarantine with two small children in the hotel room before we actually got picked up after quarantine and we finally made it to Baguio. That was when we were able to really have that big sigh of relief. Like, okay, we did it. We made it with two small children. And then now it's like, where do we start? And like, where do we go next? Was there a point where you felt like this had gone from being something that was unknown to the right decision for you and your family? Is when I hear like my eldest saying like, oh, today was a good day. Like, I really like the Philippines. Like, I don't want to go back to California. And when we asked her like, why don't you want to go back to California? It's like, well, because mommy and daddy gets to spend more time with me. And that like, oh my gosh, like I was bawling my eyes out. (laughs) And I think that was the, the fighting moment for us where, you know, we knew that even as a five-year-old, she could tell the difference of having stressed out parents to having more present and intentional parents. And that happened within less than a year, right? And I think kids will always tell the truth. I think they would never like put a filter on anything. And I think that was a defining moment for me, for sure. Did you notice anything about yourself like the Sam back in the Philippines versus the Sam in the Bay Area, just on a day-to-day basis, how you felt, anything you noticed about yourself during that first year back there? It was weird. It was, I felt weird at first because Bay Area Sam is always on the go. Like I would feel weird if I slowed down, like what's next? Or we have downtime. We could check this off our list while we have time versus over here, I get to slow down. I get to reconnect with myself and I actually... It's refreshing to have some time for myself as well because you need that as a mom, as a wife, and just as a person to reconnect with yourself and being able to kind of have something that you call your own. And for me, that's being able to spend time with friends and having yoga or anything that I only do for myself, not because selfishly, but I think it's just helped me feel like a human being again. (laughs) Yes. So I feel like I'm the more laid back Sam in the Philippines versus (laughs) California Sam. (laughs) I can't help but think about myself as a parent as you're describing these stories to me because I, (laughs) I do sometimes feel guilty if I'm just taking a moment for myself to really just do something for me. I don't know why. Like, why do you think that is as a parent that that's so hard to give yourself permission to do that. It's so funny because that's what me and my husband and I were just talking about that a few days ago. It's hard because I think you miss your kids. That's why you feel guilty. But at the same time, you know, I feel like for you to be able to be at your best for your kids, like you have to be your best self first in however way you need to I wouldn't say disconnect, but like channel that or, you know, cope with that. Like you have to have some type of way to cope with life because you you are still a human being. And I think you need that reminder that you still need that. You have your, your own needs as well. And however way you do that, whether it's yoga, whether it's working out, whether it's taking a walk, I think that that definitely makes a difference and put you in a better headspace and be available and ready for your kids um so i think there's always going to be that guilt it's because you miss your kids right like you need time away from them but the moment that you get time away from them you miss them right away i think it's just going to be an ongoing challenge as a parent
I do want to talk about some of the lessons you've learned along the way during your move back to the Philippines. I am curious to hear what has been the most surprising thing about returning there. Living in Baguio City, even though traffic is probably worse from years ago, I feel like you could still get to where you need to go within 20 minutes. And I feel like that takes back a lot of your time. And I think you could be intentional with your time depending where you're where you're located like it really plays a big deal like if you're doing this 2 hour commute at work there's so much you can do living in a smaller city like within 2 hours that you probably won't have living in California so i think like the time like how much i could do in a day because again um it's such a small city and everything is still accessible so that's what surprised me is you know how much time you could take back as you leave a city like San Francisco which is sort of I guess on the outside and even on the inside when you're living there, it feels like this city of opportunity and growth and a lot of the tech companies are there. I've got clients sometimes where I cross paths with people who are about to make a move away from a big city, which feels like the place to be with a lot of opportunity to then move to like a smaller city or away from the quote unquote professional scene. Did that run through your head And if so, what advice would you give to the Samantha who was pondering whether to move away from a city like San Francisco? Manage your expectations and do your research. And I think another thing too is, you know, how it was when I was a kid is probably not the same. There are probably some similarities, but except that there are some things that you're probably going to have to address too. But I think manage those expectations is very important. Really knowing what you value the most. Yes, there's all of these things, but does that align with your values or how big will that impact your personal or professional values if you were to move there? As long as you know what you value the most, which in my case is being able to spend time with my kids, everything else is secondary. Well, that's a great segue, Sam, into the last thing I want to talk with you about before we wrap up, which is just a couple questions about the lessons you've learned along the way. And then we can talk a little bit about what you're up to right now. What's something that you've learned about yourself moving away from the Philippines to work in the U.S. for many years and now returning back to the Philippines? I think one thing that I've learned about myself is that I needed to slow down. I think I I just felt like I was not being productive or I always felt restless if I wasn't doing anything, if I wasn't keeping myself busy. Slowing down actually helped me see things more clearly and speed up the process. So one thing that I learned about myself that I was going too fast and that slowing down is not a bad thing. (laughs) And what is something that you now know about career transitions that you wished you had known in the past? The advice I would give myself is to be bold. This is probably cliche to hear, but life is short, but it truly is. But I think the exciting part begins when you surrender to the unknown, even if it means that you might fail in some areas along the way. If you're just kind of settling because you're too afraid to fail, it's better to just fail fast so you could learn faster and move forward. I want to wrap up with what you're doing now. You mentioned this at the beginning of our conversation that your husband started some jujitsu lessons and it sounds like your daughter is benefiting (laughs) from this right now also alongside her ballet. Can you tell me a little bit more about C-Suite 
jujitsu. What is that? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. So C-suite jujitsu um, is Brazilian jujitsu lessons that we offer for kids as uh, young as five through 16 years old to adults as well. Um, and we actually also have women's self-defense classes, virtually anyone in any size, as long as you know the right techniques you're able to like escape from someone attacking you, whether they're a hundred pounds bigger than you. Um, there are some ways to um, really combat that. And I feel like it's a good life skill to have. My husband, Benjamin Augustine is the one running it. Um, you know, he's the one teaching all the classes. I am running the operations and we just started this year, but been having a lot of great feedback from people and a lot of great signups, which is very exciting. In college, I very briefly took jujitsu myself. Oh, nice. Yeah, I didn't make it past white belt just because I just didn't have as much time in college. I was so caught up with my pre-med studies at the time. But I feel like if there were one martial art I'd want our daughter to learn, it would be jujitsu just because it's so practical yes. to everyday life and self-defense. And whatever happened to Maserat Box, what's the current status of that business for you? There were like a lot of unexpected things that I didn't anticipate with our suppliers and just the cost. We are trying to reassess what would be of better value for everyone. So I'm sorting that through right now. I just thought it was best for us to pause uh, shipments this year, but something's brewing and I am working on rebranding it for next year. So stay tuned. Um, I, hopefully I get to update you as soon as we um, get that live again. And so if people want to learn more about C-Suite Jiu-Jitsu or if they want to keep up with what's happening with Maserat Box, where can people go? At least for C-Suite Jiu-Jitsu, we are actually most active on Facebook and Instagram. So if you just uh, look up our handle at C-Suite Jiu-Jitsu and then for Maserat Box at Shop Maserat Box mainly on Instagram. But yes, and then if anyone wants to learn more about just me personally and wants to shoot me a message or have any questions about my story or about career transitions, uh, they could also easily look up my name on LinkedIn as well. So that would be Samantha Tavera Augustine. Well, thank you so much, Sam, for telling us about your life as an HR consultant and business owner, how you managed your transition from the Philippines to the US then back and also the importance of just getting clear on your priorities and values along the way of your career journey. So best of luck with C-Suite Jiu-Jitsu, Maserat Box, your HR consulting work, and also your life there in the Philippines. I hope it all continues to go well for you. Thank you so much, Joseph. And thank you again for having me today. So I hope you enjoyed hearing Samantha's perspectives on the power of slowing down, how to clarify where to take your career next, and the importance of reconnecting with yourself and your core values. Now it's time to wrap up with today's Mental Fuel, where I'm going to share one way I go about reconnecting with my own past to reground myself. Before we get to today's Mental Fuel, I'd like to thank Audible for supporting this episode of Career Relaunch. Audible is the premier provider of digital audiobooks offering over 180,000 audiobook titles for listening anytime and anywhere on your favorite device. And for listeners of this show, they're offering a free audiobook download and 30-day trial. Just go to audibletrial.com slash career relaunch to download your free audiobook today. This is the part of the show called Mental Fuel, where I finish the show with a brief personal story related to one of the topics we covered today and wrap up with a simple challenge to help you move forward with your own career goals. So for today's Mental Fuel, I'm going to talk about the importance of friendship and reconnecting with friends from your past as a way of regrounding yourself 
when you're feeling a bit unsettled or unsure about where things stand in your career or your life. Now, I started thinking about friendship a lot more just a few weeks ago, partly because I got an email from Samantha when she updated me on how things were going for her in the Philippines and her reunion with her high school friend that she mentioned. And that got me thinking about the trajectory of the friendships in my own life. Now, I've always considered myself a very friend-focused individual. And what I mean by that is as far back as I can remember, being friendly, maintaining good friendships, and being a good friend to others have been core values of mine. I grew up in a somewhat small immigrant family in the U.S., and beyond my mother, father, and sister, I had very little contact with my extended family, mostly based on the other side of the world in Taiwan, both due to language and geographical barriers. So I've always felt like I have plenty of room for friends who I've always seen as sort of like chosen family to me. At the same time, I wouldn't describe myself as someone who has a lot of good friends. In fact, when I think about the people who have been close friends of mine in my life, if I'm really honest, I could probably count them on my two hands. And so these people who have been my good friends during my life have been very special to me. Now, I don't know about you, but the number of friends I've maintained regular contact with has slowly but steadily declined over the years. I feel like my friendship circle seemed the broadest in college. Then in my 20s, naturally, I only kept in touch with some of those college friends, but added a few other solid friendships throughout my 20s. After business school in my late 20s, when I was in the Bay Area, I felt like my social life was very rich, maybe the richest it's ever been. I actually had some of my best work friendships of my life when I was at Clorox, and I was still in touch with some college friends, post-college friends, and some post-MBA friends. Then I moved to London when I was 32, got married when I was 34, and I feel like the number of friendships I had kind of peaked there. Now, at the time, I had a lot of theories about why this happened. I felt like it was partly due to me just moving away from the U.S. where most of my friends were, partly due to life stage, and in a weird way, partly due to the whole Facebook rage in the early 2010s where social media updates replaced personal emails and text messages, started to replace phone calls I used to get from friends. Ironically, in spite of the vast sea of options we had of connecting with people that emerged from social media to messaging apps over the years, I started to feel less connected with friends. Some friends stopped writing to me. Others didn't really respond as quickly when I contacted them. I also just didn't see friends as much due to work and also wanting to spend time with my wife when I wasn't at work. Fast forward to today. I'm in my mid-40s now. We've got a five-year-old daughter. And suddenly, although I do meet a lot of parents at my daughter's school and her activities, I feel like the number of close friends I'm in regular quality contact with has definitely dwindled to a number I can now count on one hand. When I think about all the guys who came to my bachelor's party a decade ago, right before I got married, I'm only really in regular touch with maybe three of them now. 
And a lot of those friendships have kind of fizzled out for reasons I can't really explain. Maybe it's kids or geography or work or laziness, or maybe one or both of us has decided we don't really have a reason to be friends anymore or all of the above, which is kind of a shame. Now, maybe you're listening to this and you're thinking, wow, Joseph, I thought you said friendships were a priority for you. How did you let that happen? Well, to be honest with you, I really feel like I've tried over the years. In many of these cases, I definitely did my part to maintain and reinitiate contact. But if I'm the only one consistently making an effort to talk or it feels too one-sided, at some point, that starts to feel kind of silly. And I eventually just let those friendships go for everyone's sake. Now, I suppose I'm talking about all of this because I feel like friendships sometimes take a back seat to other things in your life, like family, health, kids, and of course work, which is what this podcast is about. And I'm guilty of this myself. But at the same time, I have found that during the pivotal moments in my life, and during the pivotal career decisions I've had to make in my life, I can think of specific friends in each of those instances who played a critical role in helping me find the clarity, confidence, and courage I needed to do what was right for me. That's because friends, especially childhood friends, play a unique role in our lives of reminding us who we once were before all the societal and familial and professional pressures and expectations started to disproportionately overshadow our true beliefs, choices, and behaviors. It's not to say you shouldn't evolve and advance beyond who you once were or that your past should necessarily dictate your future, but reconnecting with the people from your past can be a way of stepping back from your life to reground and reassess whether the person you're becoming is the person you want to be. This takes me to a quote from the actress Leah Thompson, known for her role in the Back to the Future series. One of the things I like about looking at pictures when you're young and also meeting back with old friends you haven't seen in a long time is, for me, it's a glimpse of who I was. So my challenge to you is to reconnect with a long lost friend from your past. Now I know, if you're like me, you might find it a bit awkward to suddenly drop a note to this person you haven't really spoken to in years. What if they react in a weird way? Or what if they don't respond? What if you don't actually like the person they become? Maybe you're thinking you're probably not in touch for a reason. Or even if they do respond, then what? Suddenly being in regular touch again feels unlikely or maybe forced. So what's the point? Trust me, I totally get that. But I'd still challenge you to try it just to see what happens. Even if you don't rekindle the relationship fully, at the very least, you can let that person know that you're still thinking about them. And that alone can be valuable. You never know what kind of an impact that could have on them. Actually, after chatting with Samantha, I did this myself. I went out on a limb and sent a video message to two friends from my own childhood whom I hadn't spoken to since I was last in Missouri back in 2016 for my high school reunion. I also sent a WhatsApp voice message to another college friend I hadn't talked to in years. They all responded within a few hours. 
And actually, right before recording this, I was on the phone for the past hour catching up with one of them. We used to play in the high school orchestra together about 25 years ago. And we used to have conversations back then that lasted for hours. Today, we talked about kids, our marriages, health, friends, a little bit about work, but mostly just about what's on our minds right now and to hear each other's voices again. It was one of the highlights of my week. And I can tell you, reconnecting with someone from your past who was once a very good friend of yours is definitely worth the effort, no matter what ultimately comes of it. Now, if you decide to reach out to a long lost friend yourself and you wanna share what happened afterwards, if you have a question about career change you want me to address on the show, or if you have a story of changing career paths you wanna share with me and others, I'd love for you to leave me a voicemail with your thoughts at careerrelaunch.net slash 90, where you can also find a summary of my discussion with Samantha and learn more about her, Maserat Box, and C-Suite Jiu-Jitsu. Again, that's careerrelaunch.net slash 90. Thanks so much for being part of the Career Relaunch listener community. And a very special thanks again to Samantha Tovera Augustine for sharing her story with us today from Baguio City in the Philippines. This episode was mixed by Liam McKenzie. Today's music was curated by Jonathan Rinaldi Pohl. And the Career Relaunch theme song was written and performed by Electrocardiogram. I'm Joseph Liu, and I'll talk to you next time. <laughs>